This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture or wrestling figures or sports memorabilia, please visit firstroll.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. This company is based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, so everything you see there is in Canadian funds. So to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper rate after the conversion. And they ship worldwide, so don't worry to the international listeners as well. They update daily. They have comic books, signed wrestling figures, signed wrestling pictures, anything you literally need or want there, they have. And if you're into nerd culture, I assume you're also into video games. And probably books. If so, please visit BossFightBooks.com today for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Red Dead Redemption, Resident Evil, and so many others. They have everything available in ebook format and paperback. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store, itpublic.com, or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs to onesies to even COVID masks. So if you want to support me there, please do so. And if you don't want to support me monetarily, totally understandable. The easiest thing you could do, the most important thing you could do, the freest thing you could do is to rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest wrestled 11 years in the WWE. He is a two-time Intercontinental Champ, Tag Team Champ, and U.S. Champ. Retired professional wrestler Anthony Corelli, FKA Santino Morella. Hey, buddy. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming aboard. How are you on this, I guess, snow day across southern Ontario? <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, you know, Blue Mountain opened up today. And uh, oh, okay. I don't live too far, so I'm looking looking forward to getting out on the slopes pretty soon and, uh, you know, sharpening up my snowboarding skills, skiing skills, and, you know, I try and mix it up. Have you always been into skiing and snowboarding, or has this come no, after? No, never, man. Oh, okay. I, you know, this part of my life... I'm into so many things that I wasn't really into. It's because your parents, right? When you're a kid, if your parents go camping, well, you go camping. Exactly. Parents drive to Florida, and you go to Florida. (laughs) And uh, we, you know, I I went to tournaments on the weekend. I competed in judo, and 
you know, really summertime was baseball and the rest of the year was judo tournaments. So that's, that's what we did. And then when we got older, you know, you're from Toronto, you know, we went to nightclubs you know, a lot. Right? <laughs> of a course. Lot. And, uh, fun times, but you know, I kind of neglected the outdoors. So when I was on the road with the WWE, I, I used to dream about, uh, I mean, I, I would come home and I would go for a hike to decompress. Okay. But I would dream about, you know, real, like real river trips and backwoods camping trips and oh. uh, hunting and all that outdoor stuff. That now that I'm, you know, kind of semi-retired, I'm, I'm allowed to, to do all this stuff. No, that's pretty cool. Well, you mentioned it. Now I got to ask. Nightclubs. So were you one of those Gino pumping fist in the air, driving the IROC down on Adelaide Street back in the day? I, I wasn't hardcore Gino. Okay. I went to a high school, but a lot of my friends, for some reason, were Croatian. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the boy, yeah, you know, but, but but those Genos were just an arm, arm's length away. Sure. So what were some of the nightclubs then, back in the day? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, of course, there was Fluid on Wednesdays and Industry on yeah. Tuesdays yeah. and uh, even something like Bar House on Mondays. And then, the you know, Friday, Saturday, we went to This Is London a lot. And all <laughs> government. Oh, gosh. We oh, went government. everywhere. That's right. I forgot all those places. Because all those places are gone now, as you probably know. You know I mean? Everything's out Well, I think the culture has kind of gone a little bit, too. I don't think the kids go to clubs like we did. No, I know. I think it's just mostly like concerts and just like house parties is what they probably do yeah. nowadays, right? That's well, I mean, at the very, you know, right now, no one goes well, anywhere. But I think when it comes back, who knows? Maybe there might be a resurgence of nightclubs because people can actually go out again when it's all over, you know? Well, if it wasn't for nightclubs, I would never, never have met my wife. That's where we met 20-odd years ago. It was, I don't, I don't know if you, this is after your time, but it was at G-Spot. I don't know if you're familiar with G-Spot. Yeah, no, I remember G-Spot, yeah. Yeah, perfect. That's where we met. So if it wasn't for clubs, who knows where me and my wife would be today? <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. A lot of people met. Yeah, no kidding. So, okay, wrestling. Obviously, people are here to listen to your, your career, what you've done in wrestling. You've had a huge, fantastic career. You've touched with everyone throughout the industry. And you've even dabbled in, like you said, semi-retired. You come in and now you've done other stuff besides WWE. But what got you into wrestling? What was your thing that I want to do this for a living? Well, at, I mean, at first I, I loved wrestling as a kid. And then, you you know, you, you fantasize and you imagine and you have these matches with your brother in the basement and all this stuff. But it, it really wasn't something that I thought was even possible. So it, it wasn't a dream. Um, I didn't want to be a pro wrestler. And then, you know, so I was on the national judo team mm. and... And I did some some MC stuff and some acting in high school and generally the class clown. And, and if you take grappling and you take this showmanship that I naturally had and kind of boil it together, um, you come up with sports entertainment. And so when I was in university, uh, a guy, I went to Concordia University in Montreal, okay. and a, a, a friend of mine, his dad was a former professional wrestler. Mm. And he had a school. It was in Woodbridge at the time. Okay. And as soon as I heard this, I'm like, oh, my God, I think I just found my, my destiny, my future. Mm. And I asked him, like, would, you, would your dad actually like coach me? And I thought I was too small because I'm five foot ten, you know. Mm. And then after meeting his dad and kind of, you know, the, the gym was part MMA in the sense that we had Sambo guys, wrestlers, judo guys, okay. uh, and all different martial arts, uh, martial artists sure. kind of sharing and different submissions and grappling. But then on the other side was pro wrestlers. And even the guys at the school there, they were all 300 pound guys, mm. big tall guys. And I thought I was too small. And then when I found out that, you know, Owen Hart, Bret Hart, kind of my size mm -hmm. and that 
so when I said, okay, so if size is not going to be a barrier, I, I mean, an obstacle, it was an obstacle, but it wasn't a barrier. And uh, then I'm like, I think I'd be pretty damn good at this, you know? And even growing up in high school and university, after judo class, we'd always fool around and do wrestling moves and stuff. So it was always it was always there. And then when I found out that th- there, there's a way to do it, right. then, then I decided, I decided in 1998, and I was going to do it. And I didn't get training until 2002 because uh, the school closed and was changing locations and, you know, a little delay that life throws at you sometimes. But I started very late because I went to university, um, my undergraduate degree, then teacher's college. And then mm-hmm. I worked in the corporate world for a few years. So I started training at 28 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, my daughter, for example, she's 25. Mm-hmm. She's been training already for a few years. And she, she's way ahead of me where I was at that time. Uh, first match at 29. Then at the age of 30, sure. I moved to Japan to try and f- make something there. And sure. uh, it was going great. And then I actually overstayed one of my tourist visas. So they banned me from Japan. Oh, and that man. was when I moved down to Louisville, Kentucky, to OVW, oh. where I ended up having, you know, my break and getting signed down there to a developmental so yeah i got signed to developmental at um no i moved to ovw at 31 got signed at 32 Shit. and then i debuted on rod 33 so it all happened pretty quick but that was because i was i was working extremely hard training two three times a day every single day you know right. um doing house shows and setting up the ring and, and just doing everything i could to absorb as much information as fast as possible no, that's and again, it showed in your work afterwards, obviously, because you you continued with WWE for eleven years. But going back to OVW days, is that where the whole Santino Morella came to be? The did you get to no. choose your name? No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. I, I was uh, Rip Rogers was my coach, and he just called me. He gave me the nickname Boris. <laughs> okay. He just said I looked like a Boris, and I was Boris. <laughs> he just called me Boris one day, <laughs> and that's it. And the other guys in the class were like. You know, that's going to be your nickname now. If coach calls you Boris, you're Boris, right? Sure. So everyone just started calling me Boris. <laughs> and I'm like, Boris, what the hell am I going to do with this? And then my first coach, Don Koloff, his last name was Koloff. And I said, hmm, if I can, I'm going to talk to my coach and see if he'll let me use the Koloff and I can be Boris Koloff. Because I know there hasn't been that combination. There was Boris Zukov, Boris Malenko, Ivan Koloff, Don Koloff. But I don't think at the time there was a Boris Koloff. So I was Boris Koloff for a while. And because I had all those Croatian friends, I learned a little bit of Croatian. (laughs) So I'd be in Louisville, Kentucky, saying some stuff in Croatian and people there didn't know the difference between Russian and Croatian. So it all sounded authentic. And again, we all have friends and family that are, you know, first-generation Canadians. Sure. So I've always, if you're from Toronto, you, you've heard every accent in the world. <laughs> exactly. You, know, you, you, you can walk through Costco, pick out Ooh. all the different conversations, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, and then uh, Paul Heyman gave me the name Boris Alexiev. Oh. Um, he, he put me on OVW television. And that's when The Office really started getting, you know, hearing about me and I was doing some different stuff sure. because I came from Japan. I was doing that work shoot style, that MMA oriented style. Uh, okay. And it was different from everybody else. Everyone else is doing tackle, drop down, leapfrog, and I'm doing kicks and judo throws. So I stood out and that's the, that's the name of the game. When you want to get noticed, stand out. Sure. 
And uh, anyway, so I was Boris Alexiev. I got signed to my developmental as Boris Alexiev. And then one day we're driving to Elizabethtown, Kentucky for a house show. And I get a call and they say, um, it, it was um, Mike Bucci. He was in talent relations. And he goes, hey, Boris, you, your background's really Italian, right? And I said, yep. And he goes, can you speak Italian? And I'll tell you a quick little story. So sure. like a f- couple months earlier, Dusty Rhodes, like actually Dusty Rhodes, called this guy uh, Jack Bull. Okay. And he, he hadn't, they were going to bring him up to be Undertaker's like riding buddy on the, on the American Badass gimmick. Oh, okay. And, uh, but he thought someone was doing an impression of Dusty and that it was a joke. Oh. So D- uh, Dusty said, can you ride a motorcycle? He goes, no. And he goes, well, can you learn to ride a motorcycle? <laughs> he goes, no. <laughs> and he goes, well, okay, you know, thank you. And then he looks at the phone and sees the area code is 203, which is Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. Or Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh my God, that was really Dusty Roads. So, you know, we had a chuckle. You of know, course. We laughed over it. And then Dusty Roads came down to speak to the group in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And that's when he told the audience, told the class, uh, if, the, if any promoter anywhere ever calls you and says, can you do, can you do this? Can you ride a motorcycle? Can you scuba dive? Can you do whatever? Right. Yes, absolutely. The answer is yes. And you better learn how to do it. <laughs> right. So that was fresh in my mind. And okay. then they called me and said, can you speak Italian? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. And um, they said, okay, say, say a few things, say something, you know, we're sitting here with the writers and I used to work downtown Toronto right. and uh, for Mississauga, the, I had about a, at least an hour in traffic every day. Yeah, you know, it was a great like rush hour traffic. Right. And I used to have this cassette tape. It's actually here somewhere. To be <laughs> wow. Cause I, I found it recently anyway. And, um, <laughs> It was tourist Italian, you know. Oh. My mom's not, my mother's not Italian. My dad's from from Italy. Okay. So we didn't speak it at, 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 the, at in the house. So my Italian wasn't very good. Makes sense. But uh, I, you know, I had some some lines from this tape that I used to listen to. It was a cassette tape, and it automatically flips sides. Right. And so, I, so I said a few lines. I said uh, vorrei and uh, mezzo chilo di formaggio means I want a half kilo of cheese. <laughs> And then uh, I said a couple other things, really sure. basic lines, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I could, I could. They were. I was on speaker, so I could hear everybody going. I don't know. It sounds pretty good. It sounds good. So this oh. was Friday. Okay. And I got the phone call. So I'm saying this on the phone while I'm driving. I know yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah. But. And then uh, I flew out Saturday. So they sent me my passport. That goes. That's great, Vince. It's Vince's idea. This guy. Someone might come from the crowd. Sure. And then I got, so I left on Saturday. I got there Sunday. Hmm. You know, you flew out, fly overnight and stuff. Of course. And then I was just kind of hanging out in Milan for a day by myself because the rest of the crew was on, on a tour. This is in the middle of a European tour. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Okay, okay. And um, we had a beautiful day sightseeing Milan. I've never <laughs> been there before. And actually, at that time, was that, I, I was in Italy before for like half an hour one time we were in the Alps and we took a cable car over and crossed the border. Oh, that's cool. But I've never really been in Italy. So it's actually my first time in Italy too. Yeah. And then, yeah, next day was Monday night raw and I go to the building and do my thing. And, and the, you know, what you see on, on, uh, on YouTube is, is, is what happened that day. Exactly. And that was it, man. I was on the road for, for gosh, it was eight years straight after that. Um, crazy. And then, of course, I had my neck surgery, so I was kind of, you know, on the DL for um, a couple more years, yeah. But, yeah, so anyway, 
uh, on Friday, I was Boris. And then, you know, I fly out Saturday and then Sunday I chilled and Monday I became Santino. So Boris had an abrupt ending, but, you know, it's, he served his purpose. He got me signed and um, Santino took over from there. Well, well, speaking of Santino then, well, was that the final name that did you say you're Santino or was there an actual list of names and you got to choose from it? No, no. They said you're Santino Morella, oh, okay. and that's it. So Morella is because of Gorilla Monsoon and Joey Morella. That, that was their last name. That's right. And Santino, one of the writers, Ed Kosky, years later told me, he goes, yeah, we just took a name from the Godfather movie. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and that was it. Well, you had me fooled because obviously back then the internet wasn't popping like how it is nowadays. And you could actually still be in character, keep kayfabe and all that fun stuff. And actually, speaking of the Koloffs, I had Nikita Koloff on last week. And we were talking about nice. how in his time, he was, it was easy for him to pretend to be Russian compared to versus nowadays. So how did you find it? And was there always people telling you, oh, you're not really Italian, stop acting and all this? Or like, how, how did you deal with all that? No, no. Was, I had the opposite. I had people, well, when they heard me speak like this, they'd okay. be like, what? Uh, <laughs> I thought, they'd be like, I thought you were, t- like, you know, just their mind was blue. Even Chris Jericho, the first time I met him, he's like, this is tripping me out right now. And I said, I thought, I thought that was your real voice. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, some people may have had an inkling, you know, but nobody was sure because we, we, we kept kayfabe pretty strong. Yeah. I think I only did, like, one interview where I was, you know, during my time in WWE, where I was yeah. out of character, it was actually in Toronto for Chin. Oh, there you go. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was kind of, yeah, because my, so anyway, my Italian wasn't very good. And then I started studying because I knew I had to go back to Italy one day uh, and I had to speak Italian. Sure. So I was doing Rosetta Stone and then uh, <laughs> I was able to, to cut a promo in Italy, right. uh, in Italian. And then, um, Couple, yeah, I just kept studying and studying, and I actually had a tutor. WWE actually got me a tutor, and that was like the best my Italian ever was. I actually went and did a live interview um, in Italy on, on, on TV and uh, on, on the radio. Okay. So I was nervous, man, because you know I want to represent. <laughs> you know, to be a comedic character, if people find out, you know, oh, this guy's acting like a goof, and he's not even really one of us, and you know, sure. but. It turns out that everyone was super understanding and they knew the story that my, my father came from Italy, from Calabria, right. and uh, they were just happy that they were being represented and that there was a guy who was funny. And so the, the Italian audience was, was awesome. And what about, okay, the other thing that's synonymous with the Santino character is the Cobra. When did all this come about? Who thought of it? And did you ever think it was going to get that over? Yeah, I know. So the Cobra, when I was in Japan for that year, okay. we, were at, we were at a bar one day, and my buddy's friend, he just, he, his name was Taro. He couldn't speak English very well, but he just showed me this thing where he would just make his arm into this little puppet thing. And, sure. and I remember looking at my buddy and going, I don't get it. What, like, what is that? And he goes, oh, no, it's just a funny thing he does with his arm. It's, you know. And that was it. Like, that, honestly, that was, and then the next time I saw him, he did it again, and I did it again. And, <laughs> That was it. And five years later, God, I'm, I'm, I was on a live event. I think I was wrestling Chavo or Carlito. And I was just like, oh, I said, you know what? I'm going to do that Cobra thing. And uh, the, the snake thing, it didn't even have a name back then. So I looked over at Cena and I go, watch this. I'm going to try something. So I was like doing like, my comeback was like, jab, jab, jab. Did the Cobra, hit, hit him. And he turned away and I did a schoolboy. Yeah. 
And the audience immediately laughed, like, you know, <laughs> they, they hadn't seen it on TV. It was just something they saw and they laughed. And then I came back to the curtain and Cena's like, uh, I would keep that if I were you. And I only did it on live events. I only did it on house shows okay. for the first part until I went to Raw one day and Ricky Steamboat was my agent. Mm. And I think I was wrestling Zach Ryder. And he goes, uh, you know, you're going to go over with uh, with the Cobra? And I'm like, Cobra? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, yeah, Vince wants to see the Cobra. He's heard, he's heard all about it. And I'm like, oh, Vince knows about the Cobra? I didn't even know he knew about the Cobra. Right. And uh, yeah, we did it. And God, man, in like a couple months, it would like blow up where when I would look around and make that face like here it comes, I'd see, yeah. I would see people in my, my peripheral vision like jumping out of their seats. And, and I'm like, the hell it's funny but it's not that funny but anyway they loved it and then when we introduced the the sleeve Uh then it you know we used to sell out we used to sell out of sleeves like on live events like 400 sleeves or something it was nuts that's crazy and another fact that i I stumbled across only two people i've ever kicked out of the cobra Is, is that correct yeah one one person without the sleeve oh okay and one person one person with the sleeve Wow. Seamus kicked out of the Cobra once. <laughs> um, I, I think that may have been when I when I badly sprained my ankle. I think that was in uh, in Manchester, I believe. And then Daniel Bryan at the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, and how cool was that? Speaking of Elimination Chamber, I totally forgot about this. That you literally almost won the world title in that match, and were the last one with Daniel Bryan. What was going through your mind and f- getting that feeling from the crowd? And because and, everyone thought, okay. Maybe he's not going to, and then it's like, oh, he is, no, no, he is. like, you know what I mean? So it was the back and forth, the storytelling was awesome. Yeah, it was interesting because at the time, you know, I didn't realize the significance of that match, but it seems like in the world of professional wrestling, it was a, like a, a famous moment yes. where everybody in the world believed for a second, exactly. holy shit, this guy's going to win the heavyweight championship. Yep. And um, in fact, uh, Pete Dunne, was actually telling me that it's the like it, it's it's the name of a spot. So, oh. so for example, let's say in the match we're we're putting together a match and we're gonna okay. try and make everyone believe and bite it that this is the finish, like right. a fall, a huge false finish. Mm-hmm. They call it a Santino spot, wow. and uh, and I, I didn't even know that either. But <laughs> yeah, everyone remembers where they were and. You know, when I do signings or meet people, they're always talking about that that moment. So it's pretty cool that it's kind of an. I mean, I don't know if they're just talking about it because I'm there at the time, but right. it seems like it's kind of like a famous moment or something that happened in wrestling, where where I almost won the title. But yeah, it was it was it was pretty fun. Even Cena again, he came up to me after. And he's like, he goes, uh, "That's that's the loudest they're going to get tonight in this whole pay per view for sure." Wow. And. Uh, it was pretty crazy. I, I, when I, you know, I was living in the moment. I was trying to not screw anything up, and sure. I could hear the audience, but I didn't really realize how loud they were until I watch it back. And I'm like, oh man, because they were so conditioned. When I hit him with the Cobra, it was like a foregone conclusion. That's it. He, exactly. Oh my god, he did it! Because no one ever kicked out. So, and apparently, so Mike Kyoto, the referee was in gorilla position right. and he was looking at Vince, and Vince going, "God damn it, this is good!" <laughs> and um, <laughs> And he thought Vince was going to change the finish. Um, so, wow. you know, I, I was thinking there's a chance, actually, when he had it on me, I started slowly pulling his arm down and right. getting up. I was just trying to 
buy a little time. I was trying to, you know, <laughs> you know, tell a story, entertain by, you know, sure. fighting out. But I felt if I can just keep doing this, if they keep getting louder, maybe he's going to say, you know what, change it. Santino's going to win it. And then that would have been an uh, even greater moment, you know. Yeah, no, okay. well, speaking of titles too, when you went and won the Intercontinental on that first night, like we talked about in Milan, did you think they were going to change it and this was all like a rib and they were going to screw you over in the end? Or were you like, what the hell's going on? How am I getting the IC strap on the first time out there? Yeah, no, I didn't think it was a trick. I just was, yeah, again, I just wanted to, you know, like the Eminem song, right? This was my moment. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to screw it up. And, um, just wanted to get through it. Yeah, it was it was surreal. Like when it when it happened, I was just when you stand in the middle of the ring and you have all these people in a, in an audience focusing and converging mm. all their energy at you. Right. You become like an antenna, right? And you just absorb all this energy, and it, I swear, man, it changes you forever. That's why people, a lot of performers, they they get addicted to that energy that just is just overwhelming. It's like it changes your, not your DNA, but your your mm-hmm. your, your energy changes. You know sure. your frequency, and uh, it was pretty pretty surreal. You know, yeah. Once in a while, I'll check it out because it's. I've been retired for, <laughs> gosh, quite some time. I've had a whole other chapter, right? True. Wrestling was a ten year chapter of my life, or, or WWE, I should say. But uh, you know, battle arts has been a whole other chapter. Battle arts has been open seven years, wow. so. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's almost like another life ago, you know? Yeah, no kidding. And, well, the one thing that I think honestly got the character over was the small things that you did. Like, the mispronoun- The thing I loved the best was the mispronunciation of, like, everything. You you, you would have had, like, I, the one I always remember is, like, John Cena, Ray Ma- Masta- what is it, Mastrio or something. Like, you'd always add that Italian slang to it. And it was friggin' hilarious. And I think that's, again, what made the Elimination Chamber so special was everything, like, led up to that one moment. It wasn't just a one thing overnighter, right? Yeah, there was even a time when, you know, remember when Raw had all those special guest managers? Oh, that's special right, yeah. Guest, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and for, like, I think it was like a year, I didn't have a match on Raw, but I was on every single Monday Night Raw in a backstage segment with one of our special guest managers. So mm-hmm. so that, that, even though I wasn't wrestling, was actually building my popularity. And then when I returned to in-ring action, I was, you know, even more over, so to speak, because of people just getting to know you. If there's somebody that constantly makes you laugh, there's no way you're going to dislike that person. You of know? course. No, it makes sense. And okay, well, speaking of making people laugh, what do you, obviously you had a successful career, but what do you think of people that say the there's comedy shouldn't be in wrestling and the big saying is funny doesn't equal money? Like, in my opinion, that's garbage because I love comedy and wrestling. Yeah, no, comedy is in every single story, from from Shakespeare to movies. Um, That's true. It's a, it's a part of the story arc, right? You need comic relief, and if you know after a very serious scene in a movie, there's usually a little joke. Even in the darkest movies, there's always a light moment. So it's it's true. not a, it's nothing to do with wrestling. It has to do with storytelling and entertainment. If if you know if someone doesn't like comedy, that's they're just not aware that it's present in every single movie they ever seen in their lives, but everyone has their own taste and their own right. You know, if if everything was so serious, why watch the whole show? If if the first yeah. match is like the the last match and every match in between is the same, 
watch the first match and that's it. You have to have all these little twists and ups and downs and all these different moments, bad guys winning, good guys winning, bad guys cheating and, you know, DQ matches, hardcore matches, beautiful women. Like there has to be everything. No, it's so true. And that's what I love about wrestling. Because even when I watch regular TV, I'll watch a drama and it's like, I don't feel like watching another drama. I'm going to watch a half hour comedy to ease it up. But with wrestling, it does it when it's done correctly, mind you. It's done so well and you get everything in one sitting, right? Yeah, and sometimes it can be something as simple as, so let's say there's a, a very serious match, a semi-main event, right. and then the main event's also going to be serious. Well, we'll go backstage and have our truth do something silly and sure. pop the audience. And, and here's a per- perfect analogy. You know when you eat sushi? Sure, yeah. And in between sushi, you have that ginger, right? Okay. To yeah. cleanse your palate. And it's the same thing with, with, with that serious wrestling. You have that little bit of comedy, so you can cleanse your palate, so to speak. And that way, the next segment seems even more serious. Because if it was so serious, right after the other serious one, right. it's not going to feel as serious. So sure. you're cleansing your palate, so to speak, to get that fresh feeling of seriousness, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Well, speaking of fresh feeling, did you ever want a fresh coat on the Santino Morella gimmick? Did you ever want it changed? Or were you just content with having the same character throughout your whole career? Yeah, there was a bunch of things I wanted to do. But, you know it became a staple of the programming, that comedic segment. So Vince loved it the way it was. And so that's the way it stayed. I wanted to do something where I got hypnotized and I was destroying everybody and, um, you know, not feeling pain. And then, and he snaps out of it. And then someone tries to convince him that that was you. You actually did that. You can do it. And then he has these moments where he wins and stuff. But, you know, that's why every once in a while I would pay, you know, when Kozlov came along yes. to go into the tag team division, exactly. they put me with different, different girls just to keep it fresh and do something different. Um, my next, my next, uh, incarnation is going to be a commentator after COVID. I want to go be a commentator, but not a Santino, just as myself. Okay. When I put on my commentator voice. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> Well, you said it too, working with the girls. You had a ton of girls that you worked with throughout your career, either in story mode or just like in, in special interest and love crushes. And then the Santina character came about. Now, where did this f- come from? Whose idea was this? Um, I don't know exactly who. I, probably Vince's. So Vince was always, he found it funny, the, 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 uh, the odd gender roles, you know, like, you know, Santino's trying to be the dominant male, but Beth Phoenix was really more dominant and gotcha. just the comedy of that. Sure. So the idea was that I was going to sneak into the women's battle royal just to prove that men are dominant, physically dominant right. over women or better athletes. Sure. And it ended up, it was supposed to be only one night only, just at WrestleMania. Sure. And then uh, Vince found it so funny that it ended up lasting for, for months. And even years, because you were in, what was it, last year's Royal Rumble, right? Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Royal Rumble, you own a distinct record of being the fastest person eliminated. Now, do you do you like that honor, or are you like, oh, stop talking about that shit already? <laughs> no, no, it's good, because uh, it, it was, a, it was a, um, a difficult record to break. You know, we had to be, flaw- we had to be flawless and executed oh, per- perfectly. True. So, we, uh, we had a meeting, and I was told that, I'm going to come in and get eliminated pretty much right away. Okay, yeah. And I was like, all right, whatever. I said, then I asked, it was Dean Malenko. I said, can I try and break the record? 
And he's like, he's like, well, let me, I have to ask, you know, he has right. to go ask somebody. And he came back and said, yep, you've been given the green light, try and break the record. So I, I talk, took uh, Kane aside and said, listen, I'm going to run in, pop right up if you can be right there. Because he, he was going to eliminate me anyway. Right. And I said, like, literally, as I'm coming up, I'm going to start jumping over already anyway. Just need you to do the motion. And um, it had to be executed flawlessly. Mm. Uh, Kane had to be there at the right time. I had to slide in, pop up at the right time. So I was nervous. And all the other, some of the boys backstage, they were like, man, you got to do this, man. You got to do it. You can't <laughs> fuck up. You know, you got to come in, pop up. And, and right. they were even telling Kane, you got to be there. And, you know, and, and anyway, yeah, we, ran, we, we did it. And it's a pretty tough record to beat so far. But it's also fantastic for your career because now it's featured in every vignette before the Royal Rumble that you have that record of having one second, right? Yeah, someone might beat it one day, but it's if you try and beat it, it's like it looks like you're trying to beat it. You know what I mean? I see what you're saying. Like, oh, they just want to beat the record, but but uh, yeah, because yeah, there's a way to beat it, but I won't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep that close to your vest as they say well one of the th okay I gotta ask you you were paired with the one of the two most weirdest pairings ever well, obviously one being Kozlov and you guys pulled it off fantastically I, I love that chemistry and then you were paired with Hornswoggle and the great Kelly now the one thing I want to know did you write down the road with these two and if so please tell me you have some interesting stories um Hornswoggle, not so much, but Kozlov and I did ride with Kali for a while. Okay. And, uh, man, he's just he's shockingly like one of the coolest dudes. He's so laid back. His life's not easy. And the reason we ride with him is because we have to drive him. He can't mm. drive. Ah. So he has, to, he has to get a, the office has to rent him a, a Suburban. Wow. They've got to put the seat all the way back, recline it a lot because his head hit the roof. Yeah. And, um, you know, he he loves working out. He loves going to Denny's and getting his egg whites and omelets. And <laughs> he's actually pretty health conscious, believe it or not. And uh, it's pretty funny, though, when you're having dinner with Kozlov, who has a very strong accent, right. and Kali, who has a very strong accent. And they're they're trying to order, and they're speaking English. Oh, no. But I have to, I have to translate, because <laughs> I know what they're saying, but yeah. I'm translating English to English. But it was, yeah, it was funny. And it was good. It's, you know, if you ride with Kali, you get a free car. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. I, I enjoy his company. He's a cool dude. So out of everyone you rode with, I don't want to put you on the spot, but who was your favorite person to ride down the streets with that you just matched and you're like, oh yeah, I'm riding with him again? Or her? I wouldn't have a favorite, but like, for my example, my first three years I rode with Randy and we had tons of fun. And then Kozlov was a great time. You know, he's just an awesome human being. And then near the end, you know, it was Damien Sandow and Brodus Clay. Mm. And that was just a funny car, man. Just a funny car. Everyone had just different personalities that meshed well together and, and just a lot of laughter in that car. <laughs> well, you mentioned it. You had neck injuries. You had surgeries and stuff like that. With this resurgent of guys coming back, like Daniel Bryan, Edge last year, even to a certain extent Christian now, do you have the itch? And can you come back if you wanted to? I have no itch to come back. <laughs> um, I probably could come back for a match or two here and there. My thing now is my lower back. My lower back is uh, it's 
I have a herniated disc and right. I put some stem cells in it and, and it's, you know, it just, I have to do so much maintenance just to have a, a pain-free day, you know, stretching, uh, inversion. Now that stuff's opening back up, I'm going mm. back to yoga. I have to follow an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm. Um, you know, I, I have to modify my workouts to not have a lot of load bearing on my lower back. And that's just to break even, you know, but then there's things like yesterday I had to lift up a generator and, you know, a couple hundred pounds. And I felt that the next day, um, shoveling the driveway, you got to be careful how you, with your technique, you know, I'm just, it's, it's, I have to do so much just to have a regular life, but I I can't imagine taking falls and stuff again. I'm, I'm not interested anyway. Well, but you did do some work outside of WWE, like even with Impact. You didn't take any bumps or anything, but you worked with them for a bit. And even your involvement with Destiny World Wrestling, all this stuff. Do you see more of doing like sort of those kind of spots in wrestling? Um, I don't know, man. Like, you know, if somebody wants to, especially in Canada, I love going across Canada. If somebody wants to bring me out to meet some people and do a signing or a seminar or something like that, I coach, right? I coach pro wrestling, so um, I'm still involved with it. Mm. and yeah I, I don't know some people you always hear stories about people can't they, that they can't move on and I'm super comfortable with life after wrestling it's it was a great chapter you know? I don't want to but I do want to be a commentator but I also do commentary for the uh, part-time for the International Judo Federation oh. and for Destiny and stuff like that so um, it's nice to get out on the road a little bit see the boys and just kind of break up the monotony of just the day-to-day life. So Impact, who knows? I'm, I don't know which company I'm going to be a commentator for. I'll kind of put myself out on the market, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, nowadays, there's only really two companies. There's the WWE, and then, like how they're saying now, the federation of everybody, AEW, Impact, all those. So who knows, right? Because now all these interpromotional shows, all these cross-branding shows... There's room for everywhere, and that's what all the talent are saying nowadays, too, that there's so many places to work, even with the pandemic. I know maybe indie wrestling is down a bit, but the on the spectrum of stuff, like what you see on TV is, is like booming, right? Yeah, it's very good. Uh, I'm still loyal to WWE because they, you know, they, they changed my life and my, my, the history of my family. So wherever I go, I'll always give them the first right of refusal uh-huh. and say, look, you know, you let's go. say somebody offers me something. I said, look, they just offered me this. I would prefer to work for you guys just because you guys, you know, were there for me and you believed in me. Sure. But if they're not interested, then, you know, I'll go somewhere else. Well, you said judo. You've had like your, what is it again? The Canadian judo ambassador. Now, when did this happen? What is this title? Is this just a made up title? Do you, do you have the key to the city? What's going on? Yeah, so um, there is a guy. His name is Mark Pickering. He works for the International Judo Federation. He's a wrestling fan. He lives in Japan. Okay. And he's also, uh, he works for the IJF in in media. And Anyway, he saw that I post about judo because I was coaching judo for a few years at Battle Arts. And he's like, oh, my God, this, this professional wrestler with a million Twitter followers is promoting judo and loves judo and, and and so they invited me to a few events and um yeah even when i worked with Sportsnet, you know i try and promote judo and if there's an athlete that did well at the end of the show i say hey congratulations to shadi al on his gold medal and mm-hmm. anyway so 
they just kind of uh, gave me this award, the first ever uh, ambassador to, to Judo Canada, just for some of the, the publicity work that I've been doing. And yeah, it's, I love Judo, man. I, uh, I just can't wait to teach my little two-year-old. So what do you, oh, well, you just said you love Judo, so I'm assuming you like it even better than amateur wrestling, because I think you did, you dabbled in amateur wrestling as well, right? Yeah, I wrestled in high school and uh, in uh, university, high school and university, basically. And yeah, I, I love grappling now. And, you know, even close to me in Midland, Ontario, there's a Judo club, oh. uh, which, uh, sorry, sorry, a Jiu-Jitsu club, a BJJ club. Oh, even there. And it's the, clo- it's the closest thing, so I'm going to start going there and you know, I'm a black belt in judo, but in BJJ, I'm only a blue belt. So I'm going to go in, and this will be the first time that it's not my gym. I'm not oh, the sensei. Gotcha. I just want to be a student. Sure. I just want to learn, start from scratch. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. So right now, I've been doing uh, cross-country skiing, like five, six days a week to sure. get my cardio up, to okay. kind of strengthen my hips and my, my, my adductors and hip flexors and all that stuff, so that in hopes of going to judo and uh, jiu-jitsu and, and being able to I kind of I want to compete at a master's tournament so it's okay. like 45 to 50 year olds and um, at the blue belt level and, and it just gives me something to train for you know when I was a judo athlete we always had specific dates coming up mm. oh you got a tournament here a tournament here so you have to focus because the tournament's getting closer and closer sure. and and that's how I was always motivated was you know, the tournament's coming, right? It's, you know, that clock is ticking. So if I put myself in a tournament in, you know, Masters, BJJ, um, it'll give me something to train for and I'll probably get in, in good shape. And that's the one thing a lot of people don't realize is the cardio that goes into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, I only rolled once. It was with a black belt. And, oh my God, this was like two years ago. I'm still feeling it today on my ribcage on everywhere. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm a buck 90 soaking wet and I was rolling with a guy that was like 240. Like, you know what I mean? So, it's like just everything. You work every muscle. You do everything. And it's such, like, it's so pleasing after you're done. You feel so relieved. Like, you feel accomplished after doing just one class. It's very therapeutic, man. You, right? you, you sweat, you use every muscle. Uh, there's really good camaraderie. It's crazy. Yeah. You're trying to choke somebody, and then after class, you're, you're <laughs> friends, you know? Yeah, no kidding. So what's the reason why you never got into MMA? Was it because it wasn't as popular back then, or you just didn't want to get hit in the face for real? Yeah, no. I. Um, it was just timing. Yeah, it became popular. So, it, you know, the first UFCs, I was already like 19 or 20. Oh, and true. You know, when I was 30, I was in Japan, and I got into a fight in the dojo with some guy that was going a little too hard when we were okay. kickboxing. Sure. And he's trying to hurt me, you know, and I, I kind of smartened him up. And um, <laughs> one of the guys was like, oh, maybe you MMA. So um, a fight came up in, in like three weeks' notice, and I just jumped in a fight, an MMA fight, because at the time, my, my, my ground was very solid, you know. Okay. I could tap out anybody on the ground at the time because nice. we we're doing catch wrestling a large component of judo is on the ground right and it's like bjj we, do, we don't do things like wrist locks ankle locks knee bars mm-hmm. but we do chokes and arm locks gotcha and we pin mm-hmm. so anyway you know i was doing pretty good at the time and but i i wasn't doing any i didn't have a camp or a striking dedicated coach or anything like that so i got punched right. in the neck and i got knocked out and, and that was my mma match Oh my god. So I'm assuming you're an MMA fan then. Oh, I love MMA. Oh, so you keep up with today's product and everything? You're up to date? Yeah, yeah. The good thing is, if I was younger, Hmm. 
Uh, I would have done MMA probably if, if I was 11 years old. I'd be in a, I'd be in the gym every single day, doing <laughs> working on my Muay Thai, my BJJ, all that stuff, and probably would have had more brain damage. So it's a good thing I didn't. So who are some of your all-time faves and even current favorites? Oh man, GSP, man, GSP's the man. There you go. I see your hat, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Um, oh my God, hold on. He's a, he just went to Bellator, Cuban guy. Ah, two or five, uh, Oh, Joe Romero? Joe Romero. I, I love watching Joe Romero fight. Yeah, he's a uh, Believe it or not, Brock Lesnar, Randy Couture, they were awesome. Um, Don Fry, when he was younger, was pretty badass. Yeah. Um, gosh, BJ Penn. He's a legend, right? Today, Su, uh, what's his name? Kamaru Usman. Oh, yeah. That guy is the real deal, man. Right. Um, what? Uh, blessed. What's his name? Blessed. Oh, Max Holloway. Holloway. He's one of my favorite. I. Um, he's just incredible. There's, there's, this is the thing. There's mm. so many good guys. Like Luke Rockhold. I wanted to see years more of that guy. That was wicked. Right. You know, Jacques Souza. Another one, yeah. Awesome. Some of the heavyweights right now, there's there's obviously steep is. Yeah. But there's just, there's so many guys. And there's, uh, what's his name? He lost to Dustin Poirier. He's got knocked out by, by Chandler, uh, a New Zealand guy, Hooker. Oh, Hooker, Dan, Dan Hooker. Hooker. Yeah. That guy is wicked too, man. He had yeah. a bad showing there. And Conor McGregor is a, is a tremendous athlete, like really with his strength and reflexes and timing. Yeah. He's actually an incredible human, like a specimen, right? Yeah, yeah. His personality kind of takes over, but when you look at the athlete underneath it all, he's a tremendous athlete. See, because that's what I wanted to get your opinion on, being an MMA and actually being in sort of the sport yourself, where you think, you, you so you're one of those guys, it's talent, it's not just fluke. Oh, he's super talented. Yeah, man, if you watch some of his early fights, this is incredible, man. He's not the, like, yeah, he was, you know, when there's no tape on you and footage and you're a left-handed guy, sure. you know, you, you, he knocked out Poirier in the first fight. Yeah. Like, bad. That's true, yeah. And uh, now all of a sudden they have tape, they have game plans, they, they put together, because a lot of it's tactics, right? Of you don't course. just go out there and say, these are my moves, these are your moves, let's see how they mesh. You have to come in with a, a tactical game plan yeah. of how to shut down the guy's offense and not get hit. Because with those little gloves, you know, any contact is going to be substantial. No, it's so true. And again, it goes to show how different the sport has evolved and how good these guys were back in the day because I had Dan DeB Severn on and he said he had three fight camps in over 100 fights. That's it. He never prepared for the individual. He just made sure him himself was sharp. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a different time. Dan Severn is a beast. Right. He is Dan Severn the beast. But uh, that's one way, you know, you can just say, look, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. And if you're that good, and I say, okay, this, this is my move set, my skill set. Yeah. I know you know my move set and my skill set, but I'm still coming with that, with that game plan because I'm just that confident in myself. That's, yeah, I mean, you have to be a superhuman specimen to get away with that stuff. But these days, it's, you know, you got to have a coach and you got to have good people around you, mentors, camps. You know, what if you have a fraudulent uh, strength and conditioning coach Mm -hmm. who just doesn't really know exactly what he's doing and you blow up in the ring or in the cage and you get the shit kicked out of you? That that sucks. Or, you know, 
a boxing coach is just is not good, you know. Right. Not every single coach is an awesome coach. There's guys, there's shitty coaches out there. And if you get, you know, I was blessed my whole life to have like wicked coaches from my from my first judo coach to all my pro wrestling coaches. Even mm. my yeah, I've always had someone's looking out for me because I always had incredible coaching. Now, being from the entertainment world of pro wrestling, do you like that MMA is now more? Not more, but it's on level as the same as entertainment versus pure sport. Or do you want it just to see one or the other? Yeah, no. At the, at the heart of it, it's still sport. Right? They're, they're they're competing. They can jazz it up with all the lights and promos they want. But when it comes down to it, it's two guys having competitions. So as long as that stays like that, and we don't find out the guys have been throwing fights and stuff like that, um, you know, th there have been some fights in the history of MMA that have been thrown for sure. Of course. Um, as long as it's, you know, few and far between, that's fine. Yeah, that's true. Well, before we get to the word story of the week, I got a few more things I want to touch on. You mentioned too, the battle out arts Academy. When did you want a gym of your own? Cause everyone hears it. Gyms never last or whatever. And you said it's thriving for how many years now and it's still going strong. So what was the idea of getting this off the ground? Well, I knew my neck was going to, run out you know I, I was trying to maintain it and and the best i could but the flare-ups were getting closer and closer and it was getting bad so i said i need to have a business i need to parlay my popularity on on tv and into a business and, and sure. so that way when my wrestling career comes to an end i'm not scrambling for something right and uh, i went to japan so i trained it when i was in japan i was at battle arts Oh, okay. And there was a small little dojo in Saitama with Mr. Ishikawa. Mm. And uh, so anyway, fast forward, now I'm back in Japan with WWE. I meet up with Mr. Ishikawa for lunch. Okay. And I was looking at him. I said, if I ever opened up, and he's like, I'm there. <laughs> and he is like <laughs> wicked submission wrestling coach, right. catch wrestling, whatever you want to call it. He's like super detailed. Everyone loves him. And um, I knew, because if I was still going to be on the road, you have to have someone there you can trust. Uh, and I could trust him with my life, you know? Sense, yeah. So uh, we got the ball in, in, in motion. I got an uh, uh, immigration lawyer, and we got him a visa, and we found the location. Sure. And, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was going really well. And uh, with COVID, you know, the only problem is I, it's my own fault. I bit off a lot. I was doing... My own appearances on the weekends. We were putting on shows on the weekends. I'm taking my athletes to tournaments on the weekends. Oh, I'm doing you. commentary on the weekends. Shit. And then I'm running a whole business during the week and coaching. Right. So, And then I'm doing my, my, my Sportsnet show. I had a show on Twitch. Like I was doing way too much for... I was burnt out badly, chronically burnt out. Mm -hmm. And just always just trying to make it through the week, you know? Right. And COVID came and all of a sudden... We're doing a lot less, and we're a lot more happy. So I brought in some partners, and they're, they're running the day-to-day -day operations, and life is a, a lot better. So what do you guys teach over there? Same thing. BJJ, uh, amateur wrestling, professional wrestling, okay. uh, Muay Thai, and the strength and conditioning and stuff. So what about regular gym? Like if someone wants to go there just to work out and shed some pounds, you offer that as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have weights and cardio stuff. Most of the weights and cardio stuff is kind of for our athletes. Uh, okay. Like if you want a regular gym, I would go to Planet Fitness. But if you want to be a, a professional wrestler's 
need a gym. Our amateur wrestlers and our program is like, we're like the Ontario regional training hub because we have Matman, we have two or three different teams all training there. So those kids need treadmills to cut weight and they need weights. And um, we're, we're going to focus a little bit more now on, on the gym side of things okay. because some people, they just want to come and work out, even though we don't have... 78 machines like at LA fitness, it's still a a hardcore environment where you can come in and, you know, you're you're around, you're not around offense to senior citizens, but if I want to, if I want to train hard for a fight, I don't want to be beside a 78 year old woman on the treadmill. I want to be around other people grunting and training hard (laughs) and, you know, passionate and trying to make a living or do something historic. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of hunger in battle arts because you got, um, you know, uh, aspiring MMA fighters, <clears throat> guys that want to make it in pro wrestling, amateur wrestling, and BJJ. Yeah, there's. It, it's the, the heart of Battle Arts Academy is is an, an athlete. You know, even our professional wrestlers, I train them like athletes. Mm. Even though it's entertainment, I make sure that they have uh, you know the proper strength and conditioning. They're, they're they look fantastic and they have to have the mindset Mm -hmm. of a professional athlete no of course that all sounds fantastic and you mentioned it too working for sportsnet the aftermath show so for people who don't know what is this aftermath show oh it's funny (laughs) it actually uh it actually just got canceled last week shut up yeah oh i didn't know this has been running for around 15 years i forget what he said it was a 2014 so 16th Anyway, 15 years, give or take a couple of years. Okay. And because of COVID, we've been doing it from home and we've been right. doing it on YouTube and just wasn't the same. There wasn't any sponsorships. Oh. So they actually just canceled it. So uh, I really enjoyed doing that. I, I was there for, I think, four years myself. Um, oh. This, Yeah, this would have been, yeah, four years. Um, hopefully when COVID's over, we, we get back in the studio and, and you know, start up again in some capacity. We'll see what's going to happen. Uh, we haven't really kind of announced it yet, so there's going to be some uh, some some heartbroken fans because uh, there's some people that really supported us religiously and watched the show every week. So, yeah, there's some news. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that does suck. But when you guys were on, what did you guys talk about? Was it just to strictly review the product or was it just WWE-based? What was the whole theme? Of- yeah, yeah, just WWE. Yeah, we talked about, you know, the week that was, whether it was NXT, SmackDown, or Raw. Ah, okay. And just our wins, our fails, different topics. It was a really good panel. You know, we had Carolyn Schved. Before that, there was Jackie Redmond. Before right. that was Renee. Yes. Amora Ranello was on the show. Yeah. Arno Ocal. Right, and the right. current roster of Jimmy and Nug. And now a lot of people came through that show. And it has a, yeah, it's, it has a history in the city. So hopefully it comes back in some capacity. And actually in the country, because it was a national show. We got questions from Newfoundland, from BC, and yeah. everywhere in between. That's awesome. And now, did you get any phone calls from the boys saying, wait, man, why'd you have to say that shit about me? <laughs> no, no, I always keep it good, keep it positive. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, because you know, you hear all these review shows, and the one thing that's constant with everything is just the negativity. Yeah, and if there's something that's that's that wasn't good, you know, I know the person that performed it didn't write it. You know, they didn't produce it, sense. and they're put in a position where they had to try and bring something's subpar to life it's not their fault but uh no being a former performer myself i'm I'm not going to shit on anybody that is doing something wrong you know uh, 
for example, I, I might say something like, uh, so Seth Rollins right now with the, with the, the Messiah gimmick yeah. is the first time I found that he's really connected with a persona on screen. Okay. But I'm not saying he was shit before that because exactly. he wasn't, but, but this is just the more complete version of him. And so there's a positive way to say it, right? No, of course. And it's also saying that everyone keeps growing. No one plateaus. Like you should always be growing and your next character should always be the best version of yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look at Randy Orton. That guy keeps no going and going and going and getting better and better. Like what the? Like it's insane. Yeah, no kidding. Well, ready for the weird story of the week, Anthony? Yeah. Okay. Well, you've traveled on planes a lot. Half of your career was probably based on a plane, right? Yeah. Was there any, okay, I'm not talking contraband or anything illegal of that sort, but was there anything that you ever brought in your travel on that you shouldn't, like maybe like food related, like you're not supposed to bring certain fruits to certain countries? Do you ever try and smuggle anything like that? Huh, that's interesting. No, I mean, there's some illegal stuff that I brought, but I can't mention that. <laughs> um, I, I remember, well, I remember Beth Phoenix one time. Okay. She had an apple right. in her bag. Yeah, yeah. And she was leaving Australia she was like detained for an apple because it wasn't like uh, she didn't declare it. There's no food. And they're really big about not bringing in species or plants or animals that are going to mess up their ecosystem. So, I mean, that was pretty interesting, but um, yeah, not really nothing, nothing I smuggled. (laughs) Well, this week's story, oddly enough, does come from Australia and involves an Australian airport. So how about smuggling in cactuses into a country? (laughs) There's, yeah, that, that's what I mean. They're, they're so crazy about protecting their ecosystem. Like, so, for example, because this is what happened in that country okay. when somebody brought in rabbits right. and somebody brought in pigs. So now they have a like, there, there was a massive rabbit infestation in, the, in Australia, yeah. and you you know there's that chain reaction, mm-hmm. and a rabbit can mess up the whole ecosystem. It eats one plant. This animal that eats that plant is now going extinct. And then Mm -hmm. this animal that eats that animal is going extinct. And there's a whole chain reaction. And because they're so far away from everybody and they broke off from the main continent, you know, long, 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 long time ago, their ecosystem's pretty, pretty fragile. So Australia, when we travel is, is known to be the one like, don't mess around by bringing anything. They are serious about it. Yeah, because it's but so... anyway, sorry, cactus. Yeah, no problem. So, it's so weird. So, you don't think, okay, one cactus, two cactus, whatever. This woman tried to smuggle in just under a thousand cacti. Can you believe that? One thousand. On her body, she had it. A thousand cactuses. <laughs> or cacti, yeah. whatever the plural is. <laughs> cacti, yeah. So, now, how in your mind, how do you think she tried to smuggle this in? Because obviously this woman can have it pressed up against her skin. She would be bleeding <laughs> I can't even imagine how she would do that. Well, apparently, okay, so here's the full story to put in perspective. This woman was traveling from China to Australia, and she was starting this startup business on the internet selling cacti, and I guess she wanted to do it in Australia. So this is her brilliant idea, was to smuggle a thousand. So she was in line, I guess, for, I guess, to pass customs to get into Australia, and then she noticed that the detection dogs were starting to sniff around her, come around her more often, so she started getting nervous. Her plan was to go to various washrooms throughout the airport and dump out this cacti by either flushing it or putting it in the garbage well obviously she got caught and (laughs) she was transporting it it was wrapped in stockings and taped to her body that's how she did it jesus a thousand a thousand oh well to be exact it was like 947 or something 
Yeah, but they must have been little tiny little germinating babies or something. Well, I hope so because again, unless she had like this, like the fat costume on, like you know what I mean, where then it yeah, looks like yeah. she's bigger than she actually is, and then all of a sudden you start taking it out and she deflates to like a little one thousand, a hundred pound lady. <laughs> yeah, that's strange. Well, what, how, what do you think happened to her? Because like you said, you sort of know the law, and it's they're very no, it's, strict. It's, uh, it's very strict there. She probably went to jail. Well, she was supposed to get twelve months. No, sorry, fifteen months of jail time. But for some odd reason, the judge felt sorry for her, I guess maybe because she was an older lady, maybe she couldn't do the time. And in the end, she got 100 hours of community service. Wow. Isn't that weird in, in its own? Like, yeah, they, they must have uh, deemed her, you know, a risk of some sort. Probably, I guess so. Well, Anthony, thank you for coming aboard. Really appreciate it, my friend. Now's the time to plug all your stuff. Battle Arts Academy, where people can find you. Any upcoming project, floor's all yours. Yeah, I know. That's it, man. I used to plug so much more, but COVID, man. Um, yeah, Battle Arts Academy, once we reopen, if you want to be a professional wrestler, come on down. you want to be an MMA fighter, come on down. If you have kids, you want to put them in amateur wrestling. Amateur wrestling is a great cross-training sport. Let's say your kids play soccer or hockey during the off-season. Oh. Put them in amateur wrestling. Put them in BJJ. Put them in Muay Thai. And when they go back to their sport, they're going to be even better athletes. And that's about it, man. My wife and I, we moved up north and we have a two-year-old and a baby on the way, and, and uh, we're just enjoying every day, man, every day up here. And yeah, before I plug my shit, you are a true Canadian. Most people go down south, you end up north. <laughs> yeah, you, well, I embraced it. Like, you know, I go cross-country skiing every morning. I have a snowmobile. Oh, that, awesome, and uh, if you embrace the winter activities, like I sure. bought my first pair of skates since I was in grade eight. Wow. Um, and then all of a sudden, you look forward to it. Instead of, like, you know, waiting, counting yeah. down the days till spring, I don't even want spring to come. I'm going skiing, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Remind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, helps me out. And obviously, the most important thing, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last thing before I let you go. You also dabbled in acting. You were in two movies. You were in, in a Scooby-Doo WrestleMania movie and Jingle All the Way 2. Now, did you like it? Do you want to do more? Is this something that you want to pursue eventually? Yeah, I actually do. I, I do children's television right now with Treehouse. Oh, okay. I do a show, I do a show called Miss Persona. Okay. Um, you know, seasons are kind of filmed in the, like in the summer, probably filmed for three months. Okay, okay. And I do, I do enjoy acting. But my character is his name is Alfredo, and he kind of sounds a lot like Santino. Okay. Um, but but it's fun. Yeah, check it out. Treehouse. It's called Miss Persona, and uh, look for Alfredo. <laughs> That's awesome. On that note, he's Anthony. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>